Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning, friends, and welcome to Awaken. My name is Micah. I'm one of the pastors here. And we want to begin this morning with a call to worship. Uh, If you've been around religious life or church, you know that there's often repeatable and predictable patterns in a church gathering. It's called liturgy. And the power of liturgy is that it just kind of works on us over time. So a call to worship usually is an opportunity to say, like, okay, you're here. You made your way through the doors. You're, you, you've, you've paused from whatever is going on in your life, and together we're in this room. Uh, so we try to begin with an intention, sort of a specific direction. And so this first song that we're going to sing uh, is one of my favorites. It's pretty short. I keep telling Melody, like, we should sing it again. And it's one of those things where, you know, you got to leave the people wanting more. I guess that's how it works. So, uh, but this first song is, uh, it's a prayer and it's a reminder that the sun will rise again. Uh, So I want to read a portion of the prophet Hosea who um, reminds us of that. So I've taken the liberty to change a few of the words. Uh, I've I've taken the liberty to address God in plural form as Trinity. So if you hear a couple things, you're like, oh, is that really what it says? No, it's not. I've added it. But I'd like you to, uh, to receive this prayer, these words from the prophet Hosea. He says, Come, let us return to the Lord. We've been torn to pieces, but they will heal us. We've been injured, but they will bind up our wounds. After two days, they will revive us, and on the third day, they will restore us that we may live in their presence. So let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge them. As surely as the sun rises, they will appear. They will come to us like the winter snow and like the spring rains that will water the earth. Amen? If you are able, I'd invite you to stand. Let's sing together. All righty, all righty. Um, interesting, the, the left side of the, the room, they got things to say. You guys, you're done. You're just like, let's get on with this, people. Come on. Uh, first things first, in the back of the sanctuary on your right as you leave are all of the lost and found items that have been lost. They have not yet been found, including this bowl. At which point I began to ask, why did you bring this to the church? Maybe it was for a potluck or something, but friends, this is not Ikea. This is handmade from Poland. So whoever lost this thing, there's a lot of people who might be finding it if you don't. One of the upsides of working at a church is, you know, like when when those things have been there for a while, we're like, well, bring them to the Goodwill. And I'm like, no way, not that mug. That's going back home to the Witham house. The danger is that someone will walk up to you on a Sunday and say, isn't that my mug? Or isn't that my shirt? <laughs> that actually happened to me. So, if, uh, <laughs> like, I think my son has a flannel that looks a lot like that. Like, there's a good chance it's yours. It was in the lost and found. So, um, 
Yeah, so that's there. Also, there are some cards if you volunteer at Awaken. Those are still in the back. They are dwindling. They're diminishing, so thank you. But if you haven't picked up your card and you volunteer, we'd like to mail it. We'd, we'd not like to mail it to you. We'd like for you to pick it up. So please do that. Uh, a couple things happening we want to let you know about. First of which, if you're new, welcome to our crazy world that we call Awaken. Um, I'm Micah. I'm one of our pastors. We're really glad that you're here. We'd love to know that you were. So um, if you'd like to, there's ways you can... Fill out a card in the pews in front of you or online. There's a little I'm new button halfway down our homepage. Let us know you're with us. We'll reach out and invite you to a beverage of your choice. You can get to know us. We can get to know you a little. Um, if you give to the life of our church financially, I'm so grateful for that, for your generosity. There's a couple ways you can do that. Those are on the screen behind me. You can also put you know, checks or cash in an envelope, and those can go in the black boxes at the exits. Again, super grateful for those things. Um, few things happening in the life of the church. Uh, Good Friday is coming, so we just had Ash Wednesday. By the way, how bummed were you about Ash Wednesday and the snowstorm? I was so bummed. Um, a few of you made it out, and it was a lovely gathering, but many of you, because of snow, didn't make it. So um, sorry about that. There's just nothing else to say. Except that Good Friday is coming. You can come to that one, hopefully. Uh, that's, of course, on Good Friday. And... Um, the point, to this, the point to this announcement is that choir is going to be performing on Good Friday and Easter. So if you are in the choir and you want to be again, you can let Mel know and, uh, and Michelle, who is the director of our choir, and um, that's happening. So that'll be Good Friday and Easter. Uh, our third of the four 40 Orchard Studies is happening March the 18th. If you've never studied with us in this way... Um, we'll study from 1 to 5, we'll take a break, and then dinner after that, and let the festivities keep going. But this is a, a really sweet kind of um, follow the spirit and uh, the, who's in the room, and then a passage that we study together. And what happens is not a formula, um, but it's usually really beautiful. Um, and we would invite you to join us for that, so you can sign up online. And then um, we're pulling an old one out of, the, out of the, the memory bank called Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. We did this in like the first year of Awaken. We bought pink flamingos and we put them in people's front yards that, that were hosting. I don't know why, but we did. Um, so guess who's coming to dinner? Here's how it works. We have a bunch of hosts and they say, I can host. I can host six people. But you don't know who's coming to dinner. It's guess who's coming to dinner. And if you sign up... You just get an address, but you don't know who's going to dinner. So it's a nightmare for all the introverts of the church. <laughs> the extroverts just love it. Um, but it is a lot of fun, and it's a great way to get to know people at Awaken. So we're looking for hosts. It's March the 25th, one night only. There's only one show happening here. So you got to go if you want to get it. So that's the 25th. If you can host, let Kathy know. Sound good? And then finally, there are two, dinner, two lunches happening after the gathering today. There is a queer community lunch happening at A-Side, right behind the church over here, hosted by Josh and Cass. And then the kids' community has a lunch at the artist formerly known as Tav on the Ave. It is now the St. Paul Tap. You might be wondering, why are you hosting a kids' community lunch at a bar? That's fair. It's a totally fair question. It's a really, actually, it's a great place to host a family lunch. Super wide open, lots of games for the kids to play. Uh, it's a lot of fun. So those are both happening after church. Sound good? Any questions? Okay, great. Um, today, today, today is uh, February the 26th. It is the first Sunday of Lent. Lent begins on Ash Wednesday. Lent is the 40 days starting on Ash Wednesday minus the six Sundays 
up to Easter. Um, in the church tradition, it is a time of preparation. Early on, the, 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 uh, those who were going to be baptized on Easter, it was a preparatory period for those group, that group of people to sort of ready themselves for the, the sacrament of baptism on Easter, early on in church history. It has since become a time of introspection, a time of slowing down, a time of um, thinking, being thoughtful about our lives. And some people take something out of their life. Some people add something to their life with the hope of having a different relationship with that thing. Or, um, for example, some of us on staff give up alcohol during Lent as a way to say, like, oh, well, what, what kind of relationship do I have with that? I'm free to do it, but I don't. So people do that during Lent. Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a moment where we slow down and we pause because we're walking towards this thing that happens at Easter called death and resurrection. You can't have resurrection without death. Voila! So Lent is this period where we intentionally die, where we offer things to die so that something else might be born. From dust you have come, dust you will return. Ashes on our foreheads. Ash Wednesday. In our series in Epiphany, which comes before Ash Wednesday, you got Advent, then Epiphany, then Lent, we have been talking about the humanity of Jesus, the transformation of Jesus from his baptism to his transfiguration, which was last week, and thinking about the fact that Jesus was a human. He didn't come out of the womb knowing that he was the Son of God. He didn't come out of the womb knowing that his life would end the way that it did. At some point along the way, he learns those things. He becomes the kind of person who can choose love, sacrificial love even for his enemies, those who are hanging him on the cross. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. But how did he get there? So in Lent, we're going to take 40 days to look at the last week of Jesus' life. And that begins with the anointing at Bethany in Mark chapter 14. So... Larissa, if you would come, I would invite you to rise in body or spirit for the reading of Scripture, and then we'll dive in. Mark 14. Mark 14, 1 through 11. Now, the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. Well, he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper. A woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those presents were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. And they were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Pray with me if you would. 
God, as we gather this morning, your church in this place, it's my hope and prayer that we would become the kinds of people who could follow in your footsteps, that we might become people who could love even our enemies, who could turn the other cheek when violence comes to us, when who could even lay down our lives. And I pray that by your spirit, you would be doing that work in us, even today, in the strong name of Christ and by the power of the spirit. The church said together, amen. You may be seated. Um, If I'm totally honest with you, this passage gave me fits this week. Sometimes... um, If you've ever talked to people that write songs, they say that songs sometimes just fall out of the sky. They just need somebody to, like, put them into the world. Uh, And then other times, they're just a a labor of love, and you got to wrestle them to the ground. I've never birthed a live human into the world, but I have birthed other things into the world. And sometimes sermons just happen. It's like, voila, there they are. And then other times, they just will not be born. And that was this week for me. On Wednesday, I, I sat down and I'm, I'm like, I, because here's part of the problem. Passages like this and stories like this, they kind of like ask for a certain kind of sermon, you know? Like, in fact, the first thing I wrote on my whiteboard when I sat down to write this sermon was like, what extravagant thing could you do for God? <laughs> you know? What extravagant, what would extravagant love for Jesus look like for you in your life? Or what... What could you, what do you have of great value that you could sell and give to the poor? Which misses the point, according to Jesus, by the way. But that sermon's been preached. We all know that, right? And I I don't know, I don't know why, uh, but I just don't preach sermons like that anymore. Um, And so I just, I didn't know what to say with this. And I, I prayed on Friday morning. I was like, I turned on my writing music and... Okay, you can do this, Micah. You're a pastor. You've been doing this 24 years. You can do it. No, actually, I just said, God, I, I need you desperately to say something I can't say. And I trust that whatever I notice, like, will be enough for the people today. And so I just read the passage over and over again. Like, when, when you don't know what to say, just read it again. And so I just read it again and again and again. And a few things just kind of like came up out of the passage for me. And I'm just trusting that something is enough for you today. So that's what we're going to do. Okay? Um, There's a lot of debate about this story, by the way. Uh, Two different women, two different times Jesus gets anointed. One time he gets his feet anointed. Another time he gets his head anointed. Um, uh, and in, 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 in the one where he gets his feet anointed is only in John and Luke and Mark and Matthew. The woman who anoints his head is named, but in John, she, or she's unnamed. And then in John, she is named Mary of Bethany. And Luke has this story happening in a totally different place. Quite frankly, uh, I don't really care about any of that. Sometimes it's interesting to like, why is this and what is that? Nah, 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 nah. And to, today, that's just over there. And what I have is just the things that I noticed. So um, here's the first thing, and that is that Mark really likes sandwiches. 
Well, how do you know this, Micah? Well, if you read Mark long enough and you read it intentionally, you begin to see a pattern with Mark. And, I, and people call it the Mark sandwich. I didn't come up with this. People way smarter than I did. Hard to believe, I know. Here's how it works. Mark will talk about something. And then um, there'll be something else related to that something that he started with. And then in the middle of that thing is like um, something that's totally unrelated. And you think to yourself, well, that's weird. But what's happening is actually these two things are commenting on this thing. They're in conversation with one another. For example, Mark chapter 11. Jesus walks up the hill uh, to the temple with his disciples. And on the way, they see a fig tree. And Jesus curses the fig tree. And it's out of season. And you're kind of like, well, that's... Why, why would you expect the fig tree to bear fruit out of season, Jesus? Well, then he goes into the temple and he turns over the tables, if you remember that, right? He flips the tables because the temple had become a den of thieves and it was supposed to be a house of prayer. This thing that was supposed to give life to the people had become extortionary and so Jesus gets upset about it. And then as they leave the temple, one of his disciples notices that the fig tree that Jesus cursed had withered. Those two things, which seem to be at, like, why bother, they're actually in con conversation with one another. And if you read our passage closely enough, you see that Mark has given us, yet again, another sandwich. Here it is. In the beginning, we have religious men who are trying to kill Jesus who can't see what's right in front of them. They've missed it, right? Then at the end, you have Judas, a religious guy, who a disciple of Jesus, who doesn't see Jesus for who he is or what's going on. He also is attempting to kill Jesus. He plots with the Pharisees, who are delighted by this, by the way, that he'll hand over Jesus at another time. And, and then right in the middle of that, you have the woman who sees Jesus clearly for who he is and anoints his head with oil. Now here's the all play of all all plays. If you're, not, if you're new to Awaken, sometimes I ask a question, and usually they're like one-word answers. I want to know what you think Mark is telling us about Jesus and this woman and these men in this situation. So what is the commentary that you would offer? What is happening in here? What's at play? People in power don't understand Jesus. That is not a new phenomenon. By the way, it's always interesting to read the Bible and just think about where is power. Who has it, and how are they responding to Jesus? Yes, what else? Women see. Yeah, they're, they're outraged at the expense of this thing, but Jesus says, like, this will be her memory. This is, as long as this story is told, this is what you'll remember. Yeah. Anybody also mention, notice that, like, the exchange of money that's happening? They're like, oh, you can sell this and give it to the poor. And then G Judas is about to exchange Jesus' body for money. There's a, there's a fascinating one. Extravagant love is never wasted. You're welcome. <laughs> yes. Wow. I read this passage this week over and over and over again, and I just kept coming back to how ironic it was that religious men 
are missing the point. And an unnamed woman, does anybody catch that? She doesn't even get a name. A lot of people would say in scripture when someone is unnamed, it's an invitation to see yourself in the passage. An unnamed woman sees clearly what is happening. And I wondered how many times has that happened in our world? (laughs) Where religious men missed what was right in front of them And there may have been women nearby who had they been given the opportunity to offer what they saw would have painted a beautiful picture. And I just got to thinking about one of the reasons, one of the reasons that I am egalitarian, which is to say that I believe that women and men, in terms of the church and leadership and roles in the home, are equal is passages like this, where how many times has that happened? Where people usually, and and, and I'm speaking specifically to our context and culture, right? We're 21st century, like Protestant from the evangelical tradition, where this teaching is just kind of, um, there's no shortage of it, right? That men have a particular role in the church and in leadership, and women can't be pastors, they shouldn't teach over men, and women should submit to their husbands, and they're the head of the household, right? That's what Paul says. I just think, like, wow, how many times has, um, have we, well, I'll say it positively. I believe that we should have all the gifts present in the room, and that we should listen to all the voices in the room when, when we have uh, something in front of us that we need to discern. So to those of you who have maybe been in part of churches or you've been around the evangelical world before and you felt like you had something that you weren't able to give because of your gender, I want to just offer the possibility that Paul's admonition to keep those things over here was contextual and cultural and that that's not ad infinitum for every all women all the time. But rather, actually, that if you're gifted, that you should bring your gift to the community because it's a blessing and then it will, may actually help us see clearly, Yeah? That's just one thing I saw. I hope that it's of help to you. Also, did you notice that Jesus knows he's going to die? He says, this woman has, is anointing me and preparing my body for burial. If Jesus didn't come out of the womb knowing he was going to die, and now he does, somewhere along the, uh, along the way, he came to terms with like, how this was going to go. And where this was headed. And at least in this moment, Jesus seems to to give himself to it. He wrestles with it in the garden. We'll get to that in a couple weeks. But in this moment, Jesus has been given a terminal prediction. And he seems to be at peace with it. I don't know when that happened. I don't know how that happened. But that one was fascinating to me. I thought, oh, he knows. He knows something about where this is headed. Uh, Second thing I noticed was um, the wrong people, the wrong place. He was with the wrong people in the wrong place. Um, There are certain groups of people that get brought up in the Bible uh, over and over and over again. And for Israel and the Jews of the ancient world, leprosy and lepers were one of them. So if you're new to the Bible, leprosy is a skin disease, and um, if you had leprosy, you were ceremonially unclean. Big deal, right? Well, if you're Jewish in the ancient world, 
it is a big deal. It's a huge deal because the center of your life, your family, your community, your social, your political, your religious is all wrapped up in the temple and worship as a community in the temple. And if you have leprosy or you've touched someone who has leprosy or you've been with someone who has leprosy, it's kind of like how COVID went the last few years, right? It's like, whoa, back up, back away from that person, right? Put a mask on. Uh, if that happened, then you were ceremonially unclean, and you couldn't go to the temple until you went through a process of ritual cleaning, and you became clean again. So for Jesus, notice he's with Simon the leper in his house. He's ceremonially clean. He's institutionally unclean. Awaken, I don't know if you know this or not, but you all are institutionally unclean right now in our little denomination because you were hanging out with the wrong people by virtue of sending me. <laughs> you followed the spirit to love and you're hanging out with the wrong people. And so we have, I just want to let you know that you have some things in common with Jesus. So keep going. He's in the wrong place with the wrong people. He's not only in, in the house of Simon the leper, he's reclining at the table. He's eating with him. And if you know anything about the ancient world, hospitality is a huge deal. Someone came to your door, you, you fed them and you housed them. No questions asked, even if they were your enemy. So to eat at the table of someone is an act of intimacy and fellowship and communion. And Jesus is eating at the table of Simon the leper. And there's a woman there who's unnamed. And if I know anything about the ancient world and how it would have worked, around that table were likely, though I don't know, it doesn't say, but I'm going to guess based on a lot of other information that those were men at the table who were indignant about this woman's act of extravagance, foolishness. Is it all that common to find Jesus in the wrong place with the wrong people? Think about it. Just, just like make a list. Samaria, not supposed to go there. A woman, not supposed to talk, to talk to her. Who's divorced? Big taboo. Living with someone who's not her husband. Caught in adultery. Tax collectors. Lepers. You get what I'm saying here. Jesus is consistently found in the wrong place with the wrong people according to the religious leaders and the people in power. I just want to highlight that for you. As a person who maybe follows Jesus, who's trying to uh, walk this way of following this guy, if you find yourself there, take a couple of deep breaths, you might be on the right track. You might not be. It's not always true, but you might be. My, uh, my friend Stefan, who's preached here at Awaken and... Uh, dear friend, he wrote a song, and um, the chorus of it says, uh, I'm with the drunks and the heretics, the dropouts and the drug addicts. Uh, I'm with the lost and the something or other. And then the, the hook is, if you're going to make me choose, I'm with them. Yep. There it is. If you're going to make me choose, I'm with them. 
The third thing I noticed was this, this, this sentence, this, uh, what Jesus says to the people in the room. He says, you won't always have me with you. So the woman anoints Jesus' head with oil. The people gathered at the table are upset. They're indignant. They're, you know, that could have been sold for so much money and given to the poor. Emphasis added. Sarcasm added. And Jesus says, leave her alone. What she's done is beautiful. Actually, she's anointed my body for burial. Um, The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me with you. Now, some people take this passage and they actually think, is, this, is, this, is Jesus enabling behavior that, like, disregards care for the poor? Is, is Jesus setting up, you know, kind of this classic example of, like, well, why should we bother, like, working so hard to alleviate poverty? Jesus himself says we can't even do it. I've heard, you know, people talk about economics in that way. Like, Jesus himself says we can't fix the problem, so let's stop banging our heads against the wall. The poor will always be with us. I think that's a terrible reading of this passage. Terrible, capital T. I don't, think the, I don't think the poor actually are the subject of Jesus' comment. It's rather something different than that. The different than that is, are you present to what's happening right here and right now in this room? You will not always have me with you. Do you see what's happening? Are you here? God says to Moses, come up on the mountain and then be on the mountain. Like, you can go somewhere, you can be awake and there, but you can, like, be somewhere else. Yeah? Do you know what I'm saying? One of my friends named Jess, uh, he lived in San Diego, and he would go by this coffee shop near his house that said, you know, Altadena Coffee, open and awake. Is there any sense in which you're asleep to something that's happening in your own life right now? Like sleepwalking through something, a season. Said differently, what will not always be with you in your life? Maybe it's a particular relationship and the season that that is in and that that will change. And are you present to that thing? What will not always be with you? Maybe it's even something that's hard. Jesus' invitation is to be here, now, in your body, in this life. So much of Christianity gets put into, like, someday far away, escapist theologies. That's just hogwash. And I don't think that's what Jesus is even like remotely talking about all the time. Are you present here and now to the thing that is right in front of you? Are you living your actual life? Not the life you want, not the life you hope for, but are you present here and now? The last thing that kept coming to the surface as I read this passage was what he says about the woman. This will be her memorial. What is a memorial anyways? According to the dictionary, it's something that keeps remembrance alive. 
It's like it's usually a structure or a thing that's intended and used to keep the memory of something alive. Usually the memory of a person or an event that happened. I remember going to D.C. for the first time, right? You see all the memorials around the mall in D.C., the Korean War and, and the Vietnam Memorial. I was very interested in that. My dad served in Vietnam. These things that helped us remember, that kept the memory alive for us. Jesus says, the action of devotion and love will be her memory. I'm curious, as we walk this journey of Lent out, and we're sober to the idea of, from dust you've come and dust you will return, what will your memorial be? What will your memory be? When you've breathed your last, what will, what will people say about you? Which, back that up a, a couple steps, and you begin to ask questions like, what's the foundation upon which you're building your life? Enter Jesus' story about the sandy land and the rocks. Like, who are the people that you're surrounding yourself with? What are the things that you're investing your time and your energy and your life into? Because a memory, a memorial, is not something you can put a quarter into the machine at the gas station and get a gumball out. A memory, a memorial, a life, it, 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 it's a bunch of, it's, it's life stacked up. And it takes intention and it takes like choices that you make. So, a moment for us to pause in Lent as we're sober and, 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 and thoughtful about our own lives. What will your memory be? And I'll just say you have a lot of agency in that question. Not total. Life happens and things happen and you're not in control of everything. But you have a lot of agency in how to answer that question. What will, what will be your memorial? And that is just a juicy question with a lot of places you could go. If you have a partner, it would be a great question to talk about this week. Or if you journal, to think about what will your memorial be. As we think about these things, maybe Mark offers a few nuggets of wisdom from this passage. And those are just four things that stood out to me. Somebody came up afterwards and they're like, do you think this was the moment that Judas kind of like changed his mind? I'm like, man, that's a great question. I never even thought of it. Maybe you did. But because I'm limited and I didn't think about everything, I'm going to offer a word of prayer because I don't have anything else to say. And a wise woman in my life says, at that point, you should stop talking. <laughs> so pray with me, if you will. God, we give you thanks for this day. And Holy Spirit, I trust that you are present and with us in ways that we can understand and ways that we can't. And so I pray that you will do what you long to do, which is to illuminate, to open doors, to heal things that are broken, to make us whole. And so for myself and my friends gathered this morning, we pause for a moment just to allow you the opportunity to continue and to do that work in us.
for just a moment, we'll invite you to respond. And there will be a couple things happening. Eucharist will be available to you down here in the front. Um, Mel and Josh will continue to lead us in song. Um, and in just a moment, I think the kids are going to come up. I'm hoping that they're going to come up. We'll bless them with honey. And then um, we'll invite you to come down and receive communion. So know that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after dinner, he took a cup and he blessed it and said, this is my blood which is shed for you. Whenever you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. So as you come to this table, know that this is not the table of the church. This is the table of the Lord, and it's made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God more. So come, you who have much faith or a little bit of faith or not much faith at all, if you've been here often or if it's been a long time or maybe never before, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. So come, because Christ invites you. To the church gathered in St. Paul called Awaken. I was singing this last chorus, you know, the kingdom is yours, the kingdom is yours. I'm like, yes, kingdom is yours. But then it's like, hold on a little more. This is not the end as if someone is saying to you, hold on a little more. Like, I don't know that we need to tell God that. So then I thought to myself, oh, it's as if someone is reminding us, the kingdom is yours. Which reminds me of something Jesus once said, which is, the kingdom of heaven is yours. As if to say that it's, it's happening all around you, all the time. Are you open and awake to that? That the way of God is, it's available to you. The kingdom, this thing that Jesus talks about all the time. And insofar as we embody it, we live it, we, we participate in the drama, it's yours. So grasp it. Let that be the thing that informs who you are and the life that you're living, the foundation, so that the memory of you is everything that God intended you to be and is available to you in the Spirit. So be encouraged, friends. Go with this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the church said together, amen, amen. If you're sticking around for the baptism meeting, we'll meet downstairs in 15 minutes, 11.45. To the rest of you, see you next week. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awakencommunity or on Twitter at awakencommunity. See you next time.